Welcome to the Food Freedom Life podcast, where we'll chat about everything food, body image, and emotional healing. If you want eating, movement, and health to be a part of your life without taking up your whole life, you're in the right place. I'm your host and registered dietitian, Brittany Allison, and I'm here to bring you the best tips, tools, strategies, hacks, and inspirational stories that will help you get out of the diet binge cycle so that you can heal, eat, and make room for the things that truly matter. Grab your coffee and let's chat. This is the Food Freedom Life podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're getting real about binge eating recovery, why you're still binging, what to do when you have the urge to binge, and how to take care of yourself after a binge. We have a very special guest expert with us today, Marissa Kaimiluk, aka the Binge Nutritionist. Marissa is a registered dietitian nutritionist and a binge eating coach who works with individuals who struggle with their relationship with food and body image. She specializes in binge eating, and through her practice, she helps individuals break free from restrictive eating patterns and reclaim trust with their body to move towards a more compassionate approach to health and well-being. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to get into this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I feel like this has been such a long time coming because we've followed each other on social media for such a long time. Yes. So to get us started, I would love it if you could share a bit more about your story and how you got into this work. Absolutely. So it was about, oh man, 10 years ago or so, I moved out to Los Angeles to pursue acting. I wanted to become an actress. That was always my dream growing up. And I didn't go the traditional route of going straight into college right out of high school and moved out to LA. And through pursuing acting um, in the television and film industry, as everyone can guess, it, it can be a really toxic industry when it comes to mm. beauty standards. And I actually got grouped into a category of actors, which is called 18 to play younger, which is where you're 18, but you look younger than 18. And that can really be milked in the industry because if you're under 18, there's a lot more laws and regulations around how long you can be on set for and what you're allowed to do. They have to hire teachers to be on set with you if you're under 18. And so they really value 18 to play younger actors. So I got grouped into that category, but then of course, as we do as women, my body started to fill out as I was maturing and I started to gain weight. And I was told that I needed to try to remain as small as possible to put off this persona or this image that I was younger than I actually was. And so I felt this immense pressure. Like the only way that I could be successful in this industry was if I stayed thin. Um, and if I stayed even thinner than I already was, and that really kickstarted a restrict binge cycle for many, many years. And it had, you know, my obsession with dieting and stuff had started when I was like 16 years old living in Florida, but really that industry as beautiful as the arts are, it can have a lot of pressures, especially for young girls going into the industry. And so, um, found myself chronically dieting, then binging, dieting again, doing cleanses, detoxes, like anything that you could think of to try to make myself smaller. And eventually I got to a point, um, kind of four years into the cycle where I thought, enough is enough. I am tired of having my entire life controlled by food and my body. And I found myself reading about nutrition more than I was reading my lines to study for my acting classes or anything like that. And I, I was just so distracted by it that it was taking away from the value of my life. Mm -hmm. So I kind of hit, that was, that's what I describe as my like diet rock bottom, where I kind of 
threw my arms up and was like, I'm done. How do I get out of this? And that's when I discovered intuitive eating. And I kind of did a bit of like an all in approach where I dropped my food rules kind of overnight, but obviously it's a lot of mental shifts that happen along the way, but I started eating more, eating whenever, started listening to my body and healed my relationship with food. And through that recovery, I decided that acting um, was no longer the passion that it once was for me. I think it had, you know, put some, there was some damage that came out of it that I decided that I wanted to help anyone who had been through what I went through. And I decided to go back um, to college and become a registered dietitian. And that's what got me here today. So I can help others who are where I once was since now I'm on the other side. And I see that you, you really just don't have to live like that where you're constantly at war with food in your body. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, that's from where I'm sitting, such a unique experience that you moved to LA to become an actress, but Obviously, that's a lot of people's experience, too, and experiencing that immense pressure, I can only imagine, and being put into a group where you're meant to be younger than you actually are and trying to keep a child's body. I think that's a trap that so many people fall into, even if they're not in acting. We really get frozen and stuck in this idea that our bodies shouldn't be allowed to change and grow into adult bodies, that they need to stay so small and childlike. And it's really sad. And it sounds like that's something that just really influenced your eating disorder evolution. Yeah. And I see it all the time where people are like, oh, I can't fit into my high school jeans anymore. Or, oh, look, I can fit into my high school prom dress. And I'm like, why are we glamorizing that? Why are we celebrating that? Our bodies are meant to change and it's okay for our bodies to change. We're not meant to be the same size at 16 as we are when we're 25, right? It's almost like our bodies go through a second puberty in our early 20s and they evolve into adult bodies. And there's a lot of changes that come with that. There's a lot of stress that comes with that too, because it's not really talked about. We know that we go through puberty once and then that's kind of it, but it happens. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like as we're, I mean, especially as women, we're meant to carry babies if we're so lucky. And we have to have a lot of fat. We have to have those curves. We have to have those wide hips mm-hmm. really to be able to deliver a baby. And so it is, you know, as we mature, our bodies start to prepare for that just naturally. And we can't outsmart our own biology. Yeah. And that's so much of what we try to do with dieting and that never ending pursuit of weight loss is outsmarting our own bodies, our own biology and forces that are much greater than us. And it only drives you into a ditch. And so when you really decided to pursue binge recovery and change gears in your life, what would you say were the biggest fears you had in doing that? Definitely weight gain. I was terrified of gaining weight. I actually kept a video diary and sometimes I'll share some snippets of it on my Instagram, but I have this one clip from it where I said, I'm terrified of gaining weight, but I know I need to, and Mm. I don't want to because truly when we're chronically dieting, our metabolism lowers, our hunger fullness hormones are really out of whack. And in order to regulate a lot of those things again, we have to eat more and we have to kind of overshoot what we've been deprived of. And so I knew my body was was set up to gain weight through this recovery, but I, at that point, was willing to do anything to, to get free from, from binge eating. It was just, it, I mean, it really takes a toll on you. So at that point, I had kind of, like I said, put my arms up and was like, okay, I'm giving into this. If I gain weight, I gain weight and we'll face it as we, as we go. So it was a big thing was that 
that fear of weight gain. Another fear was that I would never stop eating like that. I was addicted to food or that I was somehow the problem, even though I read the intuitive eating book and I was reassured that it wasn't an addiction and that it wasn't me just having no self-control with food, but actually that it was a result of restriction and deprivation. But I, I still was fearful, like, well, what if I'm the exception, which is something I also hear so frequently from my own clients. And so that was a big fear for me um, as well. I'd say those were really the the top two fears. And then the last one kind of plays a role in, in that first one, which was what will other people think? Both what will other people think if, if I gain weight, if I'm not presenting as this fit in person ever again. And then also what will people think if I leave acting? That was a huge part of my fears as well, because I was leaving for reasons that I knew were right for me. And I knew that my heart wasn't in anymore, but I was, I was so petrified of people thinking that I gave up. Um, and really the only way for me to get past that was to realize like some people might think that, but what is it? What is true? Like, is it true that I gave up? And I'm like, no, I released something that wasn't serving me anymore. I didn't give up. Sure. I could have kept going. I could have kept pursuing it, but I didn't want to. So I wasn't giving up. I was just choosing a new path that was right for me. And if somebody thinks that I gave up, so be it because I can't control that. And there's so much power in the choice versus letting other people and these unspoken potential judgments put pressure on you in terms of making you believe a certain thing about yourself, right? You put the power back in your hands to say, no, screw what other people think. This is my choice. This is my life. And I know what's right for me, even if it's scary. I even feel like with dieting, we think it gives us so much control, but Mm -hmm. I really feel like dieting takes away our control because it's controlling us. It's telling us what to do, when to do it and how to do it. But Mm -hmm. when we release dieting, we're actually getting back the control of choice. We are now in control of what we choose to do based on the responses of our body, based on our own experiences and our own life. Right. And that's what's so powerful too, is that through healing my relationship with food, I feel like it also, it did so much more than just helped my relationship with food. It also helped me to step into this role in my life where I was making choices for me and for myself alone. And I wasn't worried about, I stopped worrying so much about what other people think. Of course, as, as humans, we desire acceptance and people to approve of what we're doing. However, I knew that ultimately the only thing that would lead me down a path that I wanted to live was if I followed my own heart and my own instincts. Yeah. And going back to what you said earlier too, about that diet rock bottom and hitting that place for you, it sounds like even though you were in a place where there were so many fears about moving forward and what binge recovery would be like for you and totally changing gears in life, the desire to be free just really helped you overcome those fears. Yeah. And I think that's really important for anyone starting their journey is to have a solid reason why mm-hmm. they're seeking recovery. My why was always a visual, like what is the life that I'm missing out on by skipping dinners because I'm worried about what might be there or canceling plans because I just binged or hiding my body because I'm worried about what other people might think, right? Like what was I missing out on? And I started to really see that as the life I wanted to live. I always specifically talk about my why of going to Italy and being able to walk the streets of Italy with gelato in hand after just having pasta and have not a care in the world, not worry about how many steps I'm getting or if I'm going to burn it off when I get back or having to do some 
really strict diet leading up to Italy, just for me to binge through my entire trip and really miss the moment. Mm -hmm. That's always what I thought of. And that's what really kept me strong when the doubts came to mind or when I was worried about X, Y, or Z thing. I just, I had my sights set on that life that I was missing out on for so long. And I frequently reminded myself of that. Yeah. And those doubts can get so loud when you're in recovery. Oh my goodness. Those doubts can really just be that gremlin voice in your ear that tells you, you are going to be the exception that you can't do it, that you are going to be stuck with this issue forever. You're never going to have freedom from binges. And that's why having support is just such a beautiful thing to really have someone to help you zoom out in the process, to look at the speed bumps that are coming up as issues that we can really problem solve and learn from and build extra tools in your toolbox to move forward. And did you ever have support in your recovery? Great question. So yes and no. I Yes, that I had support from those that I confided in. I also started visiting a free uh, bulimia and binge eating disorder support group in my neighborhood when I still was in LA. And that was helpful to just be surrounded by a community of people who got it. And that really reminded me time and time again, that I wasn't alone and that I wasn't the exception, especially when somebody came with a success that they had or a a win that they were experiencing. It was really inspiring to me. Oh, keep going because that could be me and that will be me. Right. So in that case, yes, but professionally, I, over the years, even before my diet rock bottom, I expressed what I was doing to others. And Mm. there was a period of time where I was purging and I told my doctor, you know, you don't explicitly say, Hey, I think I have bulimia and I need help. When you're struggling, you, you kind of drop hints and you reach out for help, but there's so many doubts about if it's real or if you're sick enough, or if you deserve help, that it's hard for you to explicitly stand up for yourself and and advocate for that help you deserve. And so I remember I told my doctor during a yearly checkup that sometimes I throw up after eating and she said, oh, well, you don't do it anymore, do you? And of course I'm like, oh no, not really. And she's like, okay, well, you shouldn't do that. Do you, you definitely don't want to be doing that. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. And so I walked away from that, like, okay, I guess (laughs) it's not that bad or not something to be concerned about. There was another time that I actually, I hope she never listens to this podcast, but I was nannying. (laughs) I'm always so scared telling the story because they're a lovely family, (laughs) but I nannied for uh, actually a celebrity dietitian. And so because I was working it with her family, she was obviously open to talking to me about nutrition and my nutrition habits. And I remember I sent her copies of my, my, fitness pal logs where I was eating, I won't say how much, but uh, an amount that not even a toddler is needing to consume. And she was like, she said something like, oh, well, if that's enough to satisfy you, keep doing that. And if you ever need to lose weight for a role, we'll bring out the big guns. I'm like, looking back on it now as a dietitian, I'm like, what what are what's worse than that? Like what, what are these big guns that you're talking about? If I need to lose weight for a role, I wasn't even eating enough to sustain my bodily functions properly. It was frightening. And so that was just another instance where there was a professional in my life who didn't see the signs and, and wasn't able to help me. And I guess I can't necessarily blame them directly because 
you know, I wasn't saying, Hey, I need help, help me. But I think that as professionals in a doctor role and as a dietitian, it was a bit their responsibility to see that and ask more questions and, and validate the experience I was having as really the, I mean, as a harmful experience. Um, so through those moments over the year where I kind of reached out for help and never got it in return, I never actually ended up getting real professional help outside of the free support group that I voluntarily went to. Yeah. And it's possible to DIY recovery on your own. I did too. I never sought out professional help either, but there's definitely a lot more bumps along the way and a lot more stress points and doubts and unsupported doubts that come up that can potentially send you right back to where you started instead of continuing to push forward and making it to that place of freedom a lot sooner. And so along the way, when you were in recovery, did you ever still binge or did you kind of decide you're going to do recovery and then you never binged again? Oh man, no, of course (laughs) I still binge. I feel like binging is part of recovery because your body just doesn't stop needing what it was needing overnight. Right. I mentally decided I'm done with this. We're going to be actively pursuing recovery here, but my body was still deprived. I was still coming out of a very restrictive mindset. I still had a lot of coping tools that were wrapped up in my eating habits. And so I did binge a lot along the way. And I, I feel like relapse or any sort of binge eating tendencies can have such a source of shame and failure for so many, but I worked really hard to shift my mindset away from seeing it as a failure and more as seeing it as an opportunity to learn what was going on. I don't know how I adopted that mindset on my own, but I'm very grateful that somehow that perspective came into my mind because from that moment, whenever that was that I realized that I really stopped labeling my binges as a binge. I stopped seeing them as this moment of failure. And I started seeing them as a sign that a need wasn't being met, whether Mm -hmm. that sign was, Oh, I didn't eat enough throughout the day. And now I'm extra hungry. Of course, I'm going to be eating way more. Or if it was a sign of him going through a really stressful, emotional time, and I'm needing comfort. I'm not getting that in any other area of my life. Where could I possibly get that instead of food, etc.? That really opened my eyes to learning even more about my body because that's really all a binge is. It's a sign that a need is not being met. Mm-hmm. And all we can do is learn from that. Absolutely. And that's, I think, such a key message that everyone listening really needs to drill into their brain is that a binge is not a failure. It's just a sign that a need is not being met, whether that's a physical need, emotional need, uh, a mental need, something is missing there. And we need to do a little bit of investigating to figure out exactly what that is and solve that as a way to find freedom from the binge. Exactly. The quicker you can adopt a curiosity mindset, the easier it will be on you throughout recovery because it can help to eradicate that blame and shame that really keeps you stuck. And it allows you to have a lot more empathy and compassion for yourself when instead of saying, oh, why did I do that? You actually start to ask, huh, why did I do that? And really genuinely ask it. Yeah. The same question being asked, but very different ways of, of asking it for sure. So when it comes to stopping binge eating, if you Google it, there's so much information that comes up and a message that continually arises is around urge surfing and avoiding the urge to binge. What are your thoughts on this? And what do you recommend clients do when they get the urge to binge? 
Definitely tricky. So I have worked with urge surfing with particular clients in particular instances, but it's never about avoiding the binge. It's more about allowing the urge to rise, fall a little bit. So that way we can therefore make a decision about what do we need? Because in that moment, you're needing something and the urge intensifies. And usually that's when we react and we go binge. But if we allow our emotional state at least to come down a little bit, we can usually see, oh, maybe I actually am hungry and I'm needing food. Let me plate some food. Let me go sit down with it instead of us eating out of the pantry. Or maybe the urge rises and falls and we realize we're not hungry, which I'm very cautious to, to say it's not hunger, especially <laughs> at the beginning of recovery, but for someone at a, a different phase of their journey might say, see that it rises, it falls, and then you're no longer feeling the need to eat. And so then it might mean that you're seeking a different emotional need. So when it comes to urge surfing, I see urge surfing as a way of literally surfing the urge, but not distracting from the urge, avoiding the urge, trying to just trick yourself into not binging. It's really allowing yourself to have that urge and then mm -hmm. giving yourself the opportunity to pause so you can figure out, hey, what's going on here and then act with more information and, and uh, more accordingly, which I will not lie. That's really hard to do because there's nothing like a binge urge that, I mean, it feels like blacking out. It's yeah. hard to kind of get you know, your, your footing there. Um, but that's why urge serving allows that intense point to hopefully pass a little bit. And that might mean with something distracting, but you never avoid it completely. If you distract for five minutes in the height of your binge urge, you come back and say, okay, now what am I feeling after five minutes or 10 minutes? Right. Am I still thinking about food? If that's the case, how would it feel to eat something, right? Let's go plate it and take it somewhere else. So that's really sort of about like uh, just getting through that, the thick part of the urge, um, but not necessarily avoiding it completely. And no matter what, if someone has an urge and let's say it goes away, I never say, oh, let's just see that as a win and move on. I always say, well, let's go back to that urge and see what was happening before, during, and after to see what information we can get from it. The goal of recovering from binge eating isn't necessarily just to not have urges to binge and not binge. I mean, of course, that's that's sort of a, a given, but we also want to understand what was happening that led to those urges in the first place. So that way we can meet our body's needs and hopefully prevent those binges from coming back altogether. Yeah. Thank you so much for that insight. That's really, really helpful because yeah, I think so many people see urge surfing. And again, it's so popular when you just Google how to stop binge eating and people use it as a different way to restrict, which ultimately exactly. ends up perpetuating the binge more and more and more. They're trying to surf the urge as a way to avoid it completely and not eat and avoid food, but it's counterproductive at the end of the yeah. day. If at the, if your purpose of urge surfing is to not eat at the end of the surf, then it is just another form of restriction. Because what if we surf the urge and we still want food? We still need food, right? That might be the need that's not being met is actually just more food. Then we're, we're perpetuating the cycle there. If you go on a walk because you have the urge to binge and you come back, you're still thinking about food. You're just going to binge. Mm -hmm. Whereas maybe we use the walk to lessen the intensity, but then we still have to have permission to eat if that's ultimately what we need, which I, I 
It's so hard to talk about binge eating uh, as a whole when it comes to there's the emotional side and the physical side, because at the end of the day, we can't really work on the emotional side if our physical needs aren't being met. So more often than not, the clients I work with and myself included, the Mm -hmm. first step really is let's heal your extreme hunger. And most likely that urge to binge is coming from a place of hunger. And so you're likely going to still eat. So we don't want to excuse it always as an emotional reason. We just needed to cope Mm -hmm. and get comfort, et cetera, because it can create this sort of restrictive mindset that somehow binge eating is always just an emotional urge. And emotional eating is so popularized in media. You know, oh, I'm sad. Let's go get ice cream. It's always the woman scooping ice cream out of the container on her couch in her pajamas at the end of the day or with a big bottle of wine or whatever it is. It's always this really dramatized thing. And Mm -hmm. so often binge eating comes from a lack of nourishment overall. And as humans, we're always emotional in some way. We're very rarely just neutral at baseline. And so all eating in a sense is emotional eating. And if we're always blaming emotions on why we binge, we're not really getting to the root of what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have permission to sometimes eat emotionally, whether it's a positive emotion, a, a negative emotion or something in between, then that's still just perpetuating the restriction that would lead you to binge anyway. And so then is it like the culprit is the emotional eating or is the culprit the restriction? So that's where opening up permission to eat also allows permission to eat when you're not hungry, when it's emotional. We don't want eating for emotional reasons to be the only tool in our toolbox. Mm -hmm. But if I'm at a graduation party and there's cake, that's technically emotional eating. It's a celebration. Or if I get home from a really stressful day out doing something. And I think about the dinner I'd originally planned or a bowl of mac and cheese. I might choose the mac and cheese. I'm like, that's just more comforting. It's easier. And that's okay. That's not the only tool in my toolbox. But if I say, no, I shouldn't have the mac and cheese. I need to have what I originally planned, et cetera, et cetera. That can just perpetuate those really subtle forms of restriction that can lead us to feel deprived. Yeah. Restriction can be so sneaky and just pop up in these places that you least expect. And you think that you're done and over it. And then you realize you still have some food rule or some mental restriction hanging around that's continually perpetuating this binge eating. And so if a binge does happen, the knee-jerk reaction is so often, oh my God, I need to do better. I need to make up for this. Since, as we've talked about, meeting a binge with more restriction only fuels this binge cycle, what should people do after a binge? Definitely not easy. The first thing is to always, always, always meet yourself with empathy and compassion to recognize that it's okay that you binged. Your body is doing the best that it can for you in that given moment to take care of you. And it's not your fault. So recognize that it's okay. You're okay. And Mm -hmm. it's just a moment in time. The second thing is to continue eating as normally as possible after that. If you binge on Oreos, don't take away the Oreos. Have Oreos again the next day. If you binge at dinner, don't skip breakfast. Have breakfast again the next day. That's so we can show our body food isn't going anywhere. You don't have to have it all now or never because it's it's available and we can have it consistently. It also shows our body that we won't get punished right? We're not using food as a punishment where we have to take it away 
when we're simply being human and we have moments where we overeat or binge. And so consistency, even after a binge is the most important thing you can do for yourself. I know you might feel uncomfortable. Maybe you feel bloated. So even if it's something small, something really palatable, like a yogurt or a smoothie, something is better than nothing. Always, always, always. Mm -hmm. If you continue to restrict, you will continue to binge, but more literally right after a binge, I always recommend some sort of post binge ritual. Maybe it's putting on cozy clothes or taking a bath. Mm -hmm. having a warm tea, putting on a hot compress on your stomach, something really comforting to show your body that compassion, because I know it is also physically uncomfortable. So the most we can help to alleviate that discomfort, the better it'll, it'll help us to navigate our mindset around it as well. Yeah. That compassion is so, so important. And something that often individuals who are struggling with binge eating have a really hard time doing often people who struggle with binges, at least from what I see, a lot of our really high achieving individuals, really perfectionistic, really have high standards for themselves, want to do really well. And having compassion doesn't come naturally because they want to do their best. And a lot of ways they've probably been taught too that nose to the grindstone, move on, tighten your bootstraps and let's get forward. And so giving that forgiveness is really, really challenging and is not an easy thing to learn. It takes time. That in itself is a skill to learn how to forgive yourself. Yeah. And I know it's a cliche, but really think of what you would say to your friend in that moment, Yeah, because why shouldn't you get that same compassion that you would give to a friend? Why can't you be your own friend? Right? Mm -hmm. We don't need to make our lives harder than it already is. And if you're beating yourself up because you think it's just discipline or it's your own fault and all this stuff, I urge you to ask yourself, what are all the other ways that you are very disciplined in your life, that you are very, have quote unquote self-control with other areas of your life, with getting to work on time, with waking up in the morning, with other responsibilities you have? Why does one area of your life mean that you have no self-discipline or self-control or whatever it might be? Use all of those other areas of your life as evidence that this mm. isn't about self-control. This is about your body's natural response to deprivation and restriction, and it's trying to keep you safe. So you can hold space for that where you, you sit with that feeling as if it were a friend, right. And show, you know, mm -hmm. I know you feel unsafe right now, but I'm going to show you that we're safe. We have access to food. It's not going anywhere and you still deserve to eat regardless of if you just binged. Yeah. Looking at those other areas of life where there is discipline and structure and you can set your mind to something and achieve it is so important. But at the same time, it's kind of this double-sided coin where people can do that and then say, oh, well, with food and with exercise, with health, I can't stick to it. Therefore, it must be me because all these other True. areas I can. But we really need to look at that a different way, flip it on its head and say, no, because you can do it in all these other areas, it is not you when it comes to food. Exactly. And then I would say, okay, well, think about other bodily functions. Is it just about self-control and discipline? Like, can you just keep yourself from going to the bathroom when you need to go to the bathroom? <laughs> right. That's where you see that no matter how much discipline and self-control you have, you can't outsmart your body. You can't 
out control your body because at the end of the day, your body's always in the driver's seat, working to keep you safe, Mm -hmm. doing things to make sure that you survive. And then the way we respond to our body signals that's working to keep us alive is how we ultimately thrive, but we can't control what's going on in the inside. Yeah. We cannot outsmart our bodies. We are not smarter than our bodies. We can do a lot to learn about them and support them. And there are certainly things that we can do, but at the end of the day, our bodies are well-oiled machines that know what they're doing and we can't overpower them, especially not when it comes to food. Exactly. That's where we work to work with our body rather than against it. It doesn't mean we just say, okay, well then I'm not going to do anything at all. It's just allowing our body to be the map. And then we, we get to make the choice then of which direction we want to go based on where our body is trying to show us to go. That's a bad analogy, but just some sort of, it's a, it's the guide. And then we get to respond appropriately. (laughs) I totally agree with you. I know where you're going on that. I'm on your (laughs) wavelength, building that trust between not only you and your body, but giving your body the chance to learn to trust you again, too. That's the compass that Mm -hmm. we all need and that we're all looking for. And that's key in binge recovery and finding food freedom and having a good relationship with food and movement and health and your body and all of that good stuff. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much for being on the show, Marissa, and for all your amazing advice on binge recovery. Where can our listeners find you if they want to keep following along? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at binge.nutritionist. And I also have a website, which is behindthebinge.com. There you can find pretty much links to everything. That's also the name of my podcast, Behind the Binge. So uh, yeah, those are pretty much the main areas where you can see how we could connect. Amazing. Well, definitely everyone go give her a follow if you're not already, because she posts so much amazing information and, (laughs) and it was lovely having you on the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much. If you love the episode, please do not forget to leave a rating and review. It helps me out so much and means the world. It helps more people get access to the podcast, to my content, and it also helps me to know which content you want to see more of. If you are ready to start your journey to food freedom and break out of the restrict binge cycle for good so you can become a confident, intuitive eater, make sure to click the link in my show notes to book a free 30-minute consult and learn more about my one-on-one coaching. Let's end the year better than it started together. All right. I hope you all enjoyed the episode and I'll catch you next week. 